hi everybody welcome back to Fundamentalist. this is episode three of our quarantine series we're still doing it we're still at it which is and coincidentally episode three in three years yes yeah exactly <laughs> making big moves during quarantine um so this is Faiza. and i'm meg and this week we actually have a friend of ours who um is an expat and lives in China and she moved like right before the pandemic broke out and so we're going to talk to her about her experiences um she's been sharing really helpful updates on Instagram that I found really helpful um and so we wanted to talk about her experience um and what it's been like in China what she's been seeing coming out of the U.S. and what the, like the kind of cultural differences are um and how she's been adjusting to life there during this mess but um, I'll let Sana introduce herself. Hi guys, how are you? Uh, I'm Sana, uh, Sana Gori from New York. I um, was born and raised New Yorker. I don't really know how to introduce myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a singer-songwriter, I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> and I moved to Shanghai um, about seven months ago and I've been living here since. So, Sana, so you, you moved there seven months ago, right? Um, why did you move there? So, um, actually, I got married in October of 2019. And I moved about a week later in November to China. Uh, my husband is Pakistani, but he's been living and working in Shanghai for 10 years. So after we got married, uh, we, I moved out here with him. Uh, so you moved out there seven months ago, like what, like in October, November, and that was like right before, right before the outbreak. So did you hear like rumblings or anything? Like how did you first hear about the virus? So this is actually like a, a two-part thing because, um, so I moved in November um, and everything was kind of like, okay, I was just adjusting to marriage and living in a brand new country on the other side of the world. And I was like, okay, this is like a big change. Um, and then in December, I uh, actually heard from friends. They were sending me like BBC links about this virus that was kind of spreading throughout China. Um, but we didn't have any information over here about that. And I wasn't hearing anything except through these like, you know, possibilities of there's something might be spreading, um, but really it was just in, it was just through friends uh, back in December. But we really heard about it when we actually went on, on our honeymoon to Thailand, and that was at the end of January. So we left Shanghai about a week before the Chinese New Year started, and as soon as we got to Thailand, that's when we started hearing news about this virus actually spreading, um, that it's public now, uh, it's in Wuhan. And every day there was new information that there, China might be shutting down, the city might be shutting down, and we were kind of nervous because we were in Thailand at the time. Um, so shortly after we started hearing that news in Thailand, the hotel like, ended up filling up with uh, Chinese tourists because everybody had left China for the Chinese New Year's, and that's when we were really just kind of nervous because that was when the news was like, okay, this thing is out there, Wuhan is getting shut down, but it was after everybody had traveled and had left China. So we were super scared. We were like, oh my God, 
we don't know who's here from Wuhan. We don't know who's infected. We don't know if we're going to be able to get back in China. So it was really the end of January when everything just hit China. And that's when the news really hit the world. It's so crazy, Senna, that that was the timing for you to have heard of it as someone who lives in China, because I feel like that's around when um, it started getting or the news started spreading here as well. I remember I was like eight months pregnant in January and we were gearing up to move homes because I only make the best decisions in life. Um, and my mom had come up from Jersey to help me pack because I'm like type A neurotic and she knew I would try to pack everything by myself and like put myself into labor. So anyway, my mom came up and I remember every single day she would literally be like, for non-Urdu speakers, like she was giving me a running tally every day. And, you know, the numbers were crazy. They were spiking, they were jumping. Um, but for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's like the obnoxious hubristic American in me that I was like, that's such a, you know, that's a China's problem. You know, it's not, I, I had no idea that it would spread so rapidly and come here. But I think it's really, really interesting that that's around when you guys started to get wind of it as well. Yeah, that is really crazy to me as well, because my sister is a public health professional and she went to Thailand for a, uh, like some in global public health convention that they had around the end of January, I want to say, or like early Feb. And she was saying that there were a ton of Chinese tourists there and there were, everybody was being super careful. And if you coughed, like everybody turned their, snapped their necks and turned and looked at you. Um, and there was, uh, there were also there, of course, then everybody's t- treating the Chinese tourists very carefully and with suspicion. But the fact that you guys didn't, that there wasn't much information being given to you guys as Chinese, like, well, I don't know if you're citizens, but like living in China, uh, you you didn't find out about it until around the same time the rest of the world did is pretty scary. Um, so your, you said your initial response was to be scared. When you got back to Shanghai, what was the response there? Did you feel like people were taking it seriously? Was it still kind of like lax? What was that experience like? So we were in Thailand for two weeks. Um, so just to go back to that, um, that's like when the, um, like I said, like the initial fear had kicked in for the virus. Um, and it was kind of, it was scary because, you know, like you said, like we, I heard about these rumors, um, but it didn't really hit the news cycle until we were out of um, Thailand. So we actually um, were waiting to hear back from my husband's company to see if, you know, they're going to reopen, what's going to happen if, like, we can't travel, if we can, like, we were actually just worried about getting back into China. Um, but luckily, our flight, so we had booked our travels to come back before the end of Chinese New Year. So we had arrived on, like, a Tuesday, um, and then literally the next day, the government, like, issued, like, a notice, like, our, our, um, like the apartment building that we live in, they gave it like notices on the doors being like, hey, like the Sh- Shanghai is going to be shut down, like everything's going to stay closed. And they weren't even at that time putting it on the coronavirus. They were just like, oh, we're extending the Chinese New Year for a week. Um, so when we got back to China, everything was shut down. So we were like, the airports were pretty empty because again, we had we were traveling, we didn't want to get stuck in the crowds, right, when we first booked our trip. So the airports were still pretty empty, but everybody was in masks. We got masks in Thailand. 
and um, we brought them back with us to China. But we couldn't even anticipate the fact that there would be no masks here when we got back. You know, so when we got into China, we had probably two to three weeks worth of masks, and we found out that all of China was sold out of masks. So we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We were like mortified. We were so scared. We were like, oh, okay. So we come back home and all the restaurants are closed. All the grocery stores are closed. Like the entire city is still shut down from Chinese New Year because this place is basically a ghost town during that time. Um, so the first week that we got back, we there were about two restaurants that were open that we could eat from and we only eat halal so these were the only like one of was like a pizza joint and one was this uh, Indian restaurant that we only ate like veg food from um, so we basically were just like surviving off of takeout from those two restaurants and every day we were just waiting for some sort of news about what's gonna happen so how did did the how did the government then prepare you? Like, okay, so they're they're saying they put it on Chinese New Year that they were extending this, and then when it became, I'm sure, it became it became really apparent that this was about the virus, and they weren't doing this to be nice. Um, so, how did they prepare you? And then, what do you what what did you do about like those essentials? So, like, there was actually no preparation, right? Everything was reactionary. Um, but I think the the best thing they did was shut down the entire country. So they shut down highways, they shut down the train stations. You couldn't get in and out, in or out of the city that you were in. So my brother-in-law actually was stuck in Hubei province because he went to go visit his uh, his wife's family and he was there when everything got shut down. So he was there for over two months. Um, he just recently got back to his city, which is Guangzhou. Um, <clears throat> so we, we were just getting information from, like I said, like international news sources because we didn't consume, we don't consume Chinese television or like news sources here. Because my husband's fluent in Chinese, but we don't have cable. Like we live off the internet and streaming. And when we were in Thailand, like even the, the Chinese news that they had up there, it wasn't anything related to the virus. They were, it was just all political, you know, news. Um, so when we got back here, we were just waiting on information from our, our apartment complex because everything was just based off of like notices that they were giving us. So they actually sent us a notice saying, okay, um, the government is issue, issuing five masks per household and this is, uh, this is the designated pharmacy that you can pick them up at and we will tell you what day and what time to come. So we would just get pieces of paper like under the door or on our or on our um, actual door, and it was just like about masks. But other than that, we were just you know looking online and just waiting to get <clears throat> information from this one source. It was um, Smart Shanghai, so they kind of were updating us on you know what's going on. But nobody had any any information. It was just waiting to see what when everything was going to reopen. The difference in like information distribution is so striking to me um the fact that they were able to mobilize and get because obviously shanghai is an incredibly densely populated city and to put notices on every freaking apartment door is like no way in hell new york would have been able to pull that off no way in hell princeton new jersey would be able to pull that off so that's that's really striking to me also five free masks per well do you said per family or per person per household yeah 
Sure, yeah. But that's five more than we got. (laughs) Right? That's also, like, those differences, it's so stark. It's so interesting to see. Um, Anyway, sorry, go on. That was my takeaway from what you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it was just, you know, a lot of our friends, because we were able to get back in to China um, before the Chinese New Year ended, so a lot of our friends were in their home countries and actually ended up getting stuck, except for about one or two. Um, They were able to get flights back in about like a month later, and then the other couple of friends, they couldn't get back in until mid-March. And that was right before the cutoff for like, okay, foreigners are no longer allowed to enter China. Um, So everybody that... We had friends in Brazil, we had friends in um, the UK and Panama, and they were just giving us their updates, like, okay, it's not being taken seriously here, but flights are canceled, but, like, we can't get to China right now, so we're just waiting for information on, like, when we can get back in. Um, But it was just crazy that, like, I was in this bubble, like, locked in my apartment for almost six weeks, (laughs) just, like, eating takeout because there was, like, no restaurants open for two weeks, and then... After two weeks of um, quarantine, they started opening up like grocery stores. So grocery stores were delivering, um, and then that like we were just basically ordering groceries. I was cooking veggies every day because we didn't want to eat meat. There was information that this thing came from wet markets and it was related to chickens, and we didn't know if our meat was being sourced from Wuhan. So we cut out meat from our diet. Like we were like, how do we how do we do this? Like how do we live in quarantine off of veggies? So that's when we kind of became like little health nuts. Like we made sure we had two oranges a day and we made sure we were like working out at home. We were eating lots of spinach. Like we were just trying to stay healthy because we didn't know when we were going to be able to go out again. And and we definitely did not want to get sick. Yeah. And I think going back to the, the, like the, so there's like this cultural difference, right? With how these populations are controlled, and especially in these East Asian countries, like Mike was saying, you could never do that even in the suburbs, right? Get people to stay inside and, with little information. Um, but you're able to do that in a, in a populous city like Shanghai without telling people a reason, people are still compliant. Um, yeah. so, but then if, for, and now I'm scared for you because China is not <laughs> very kind to its dis- dissidents and there have been incidents of, of people trying to disseminate information and, and getting in trouble. But, um, so w- for you being from the outside in, what was the biggest cultural shock or what was the biggest surprise on how, uh, like how Shanghai, China, the general public was dealing with this? I was actually surprised at how everybody was just listening to the government, right? Like, I'm, I'm from New York, you know? Like, over there you have people, like, riding. <laughs> and I was, like, surprised that that was, like, New York's reaction too, but that's, like, for later. But I was surprised that, you know, the entire country was shut down and everyone was like, okay, we're just going to stay at home. Okay, like, the streets were empty. There was not one person biking. There was not one person... Like, the only people that were on the road were um, delivery people and taxi drivers. And that was it. There was nobody else outside because the government said, like, stay indoors, everything's closed down, don't go outside, and nobody did. I was just surprised that everybody listened and that they were able to shut down highways, shut down cities, and people stayed put. That was just very shocking to me. 
but I also I think to Sorry, Sana, I was just going to say, I think to Faiz's point, though, that just goes to show the heavy hand of the government and how they do treat dissidents. Like, we talk about police brutality in the States, and absolutely, yes, it's a problem, but it ain't brutal like the Chinese government. So, um, you know, I think it's not that necessarily just that as a culture, Chinese people are more obedient. Um I think the government has spent decades, generations, kind of forcing that obedience into, or beating that obedience into the population. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's definitely um, a direct result of how, you know, like their government works with their people, right? So I, Obviously, because I'm living here, I'm gonna keep it to that. That's <laughs> my opinion and what I can vocally say, um, just so I don't get in trouble. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. I, I understand. Like, you, I don't think any other country has the ability to control the population the way China does. It's just not. It's not possible anywhere else. Like hearing you describe it as. Americans still living in New York, it sounds dystopian to me. You know, I can't even imagine a government being that, not just involved, but I don't know. It sounds so like big brother dystopian to me. Well, it is, right? It's it's opposite ends of the spectrum, really, when you look at U.S., China, and how, they, uh, how populations are controlled, right? Because here you have protests um, people protesting to go to the hair salons, right? You, everybody wants the, the, they're willing to sacrifice lives to open up the economy. And uh, the, the amount of disinformation that's spread is just like part of, part of, part and parcel of the American news cycle. And then you have China, which is very little information going out to the general public, but everyone just listens because you know shit will go down if you don't. Um, and then you have countries in the middle where, like, you know, New Zealand has recovered the fastest because people were compliant, but it was because they were given all the tools they needed and they took measures to make sure that they shut down the country in the appropriate manner for the appropriate amount of time, took all of these steps to ensure that people were safe, um, and then only opened up when it was advisable to do so. But it's we're really opposite ends of the spectrum where the U.S. was super slow in doing what they did. States, it's up to the states how they disseminate information. But then people are there's such individualism or, or this like idea of American exceptionalism and and individualism on top of that. And of course, like capitalism to the fucking max. But I, to me, it's really interesting to hear. I didn't I. I I'm surprised to hear how little information was given to people and how little preparation there was considering you have, it's a, such a densely populated city where you live. So while all of this is going on, you're saying like grocery stores are probably, I'm sure are probably decimated. You're living off of just vegetables. Was, were there any like accommodations or anything that the government was giving you besides masks? Um, well, what they did was, well, as, as, in terms of giving, no, like they, it, it was basically just, you know, um, it was a staggered opening of the country, right? So the first two weeks of quarantine, like I said, it was just restaurants, then um, grocery stores opened, then that uh, at the beginning of 
March, they opened up restaurants for deliver, like take, like you can pick up for like pickup only, cafes and restaurants. Um, and I think they were just working out a system to kind of reopen the country in like a staggered way that would um, allow them to monitor like people's health. So basically, they implemented um, temperature checks in every building. That you would go to whether it was the grocery store whether it was the mall i mean besides shutting everything down they really couldn't do anything else they didn't do anything else um we didn't get a notice for uh, like our second set of masks until march um <clears throat> but by then you know factories had reopened and masks were in production so it was really easy to get masks by then um but i think the biggest thing was just how they implemented all these strategies after Shanghai reopened. I think that was their main focus on how do we get everybody out there without getting sick and how do we monitor that. So there were temperature checks and then they started linking like health QR codes to your phone. Um, so you had a green health code if you if your temperature was you know under 36 degrees Celsius which is like 98 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yellow if you know, you had left Shanghai and red if you were like out of the country and you can get back in. So they had like a system that they were doing checks. And this was all linked through your <clears throat> your travel, like on your phone, right? So all your, like, this is all GPS location based. Um, wow. Yeah. So I don't know, as someone from New York and living here, like I understand the dystopia of it and the Big Brother thing of it. But also, like, seeing how New York and, like, the U.S. is protesting about health, I appreciated that aspect. Like, I think that's where I was like, okay, like, sometimes this stuff works in the manner of, like, a global crisis. This is the way to go, in my opinion. You know, like, this is how you keep everyone healthy, safe, um, and you just make sure that you're not spreading this disease any further than you have to. Um, but yeah, it comes with its consequences of having a government like this, right? So there's a lot of pros and cons to both systems, and that's why like, that's the whole political argument for another day. Um, but yeah, that it was basically after Shanghai reopened, that's when we realized we, we will be living like a new normal. So masks all the time, sanitizer all the time. Every restaurant had sanitizer. They would check your temperature, they'd give you sanitizer, they sat you six feet apart, they didn't seat every, like, restaurants were doing social distancing. Um, grocery stores were doing social distancing. So they implemented these things that did help, um, but at the same time, they didn't do anything while we were in quarantine, while we were shut down, there was, like, nothing. So, so now Shanghai is fully opened, Right, like there aren't any more restrictions on the um, what what businesses can be opened, where you can go, that kind of thing. But even with that, you're saying like the, now with this recovery, so you would say recovery is over. Now it's new normal. So what does new normal look like? So new normal is it's just masks, temperature checks, and sanitizer every day. Um, it's a lot more lax now. Um, you know, ever since April, like mid-April, people, like the youth, like younger Chinese citizens have stopped wearing masks. You know, like the weather's gotten nicer. There's less social distancing in restaurants. Like before, you know, you couldn't get a table of six at a, a diner because it was, it would be too crowded. Now they're seating everyone normally. Um, you know, you still have to wear masks. 
but the new normal is actually going to be about traveling. So that's um, that's the hard part. So these like health codes, they are preventing us from traveling. Um, if you're a Chinese citizen, obviously you can travel, you're good, whatever. But as a foreigner here, we like Eid is coming up, right? Like this coming weekend, inshallah. Um, we can't go see Shah's family, my husband's family, um, in Ningbo, which is like two hours away, because my mother-in-law and father-in-law flew from Guangzhou, which is south of China, into Ningbo, which is, like I said, two hours away, and they were put up in a hotel overnight. They were, um, they had the coronavirus test. They were tested that morning, and they were in the hotel until they were cleared from the test. And then they were able to go to my brother-in-law's place. So we can't travel like that. You know, if you want to go away for a weekend, you're going to spend, every city has its own quarantine and, and health checks that they're implementing in their own way. So we can't even leave Shanghai without, okay, what's going to happen? Are we going to be able to get, the, get, get back into Shanghai? Are we going to have to quarantine? Are we going to have to be put in a hotel? You know, they were lucky enough to be in a hotel where, the accommodations were taken care of, but in Beijing, you have to pay for your own hotel if you're quarantined. Um, so there's just a lot of travel issues right now. So the new normal is staying put in Shanghai and wearing masks and just trying to stay healthy. That's insane. That's scary. So you were saying, you know, you're obviously consuming global news. You're seeing what's coming out of the U.S., New York, and I'm sure you have lots of family members and, and friends that are telling you what's going on. What has been the most surprising to you coming out of the news that's coming out of the U.S.? I mean, I don't know if it's surprising, if, like Trump's reaction. <laughs> it's, you know, like the Trump administration doesn't surprise me anymore. I think that... I, like all all of my friends based in America are you know they're taking this seriously. They're social distancing. They're staying at home. They're being cautious. It's just the rest of the country where you know golfing is considered essential and um, you know beaches are considered essential. And people are like, "F this! I'm gonna be like that." Just blows my mind because it's this is for the health of that like, of these individual people and the world right like, this is not um i'm trying to stop you from getting into a club this is not like this is, has nothing to do with anything except for health and the fact that that's not being taken seriously that's what shocks me that people are so selfish or they're so you know wrapped up in their own lives that they can't think about another person and they can't stay home or be cautious. And same thing with the government. Like Trump being all about reopening the economy, I get it. That's how China was. Like we opened within two months and you know, Trump's trying to do the same thing. But we had the numbers in control. Like, we had the infections in control. The US doesn't. <laughs> Until you have that in control, he shouldn't be talking about stuff like this. Or he should be implementing more work at home orders that like he should be doing something to help the economy while also helping the people but it, it's surprising that the people are against this but it's also not surprising that the trump administration is not doing anything i mean the u.s doesn't even have the data under control let alone anything else right like we haven't even figured out the exact scope of this or even a ballpark scope like the numbers are meaningless because they're they're just not showing a full picture. We just don't have 
a full idea, a full grasp of exactly what's happening, the numbers, the trends, the infections, the non-infections, the deaths, you know, so much of it is just speculation. Um, With respect to what you were saying, Senna, about, you know, social distancing and how it's crazy how some people aren't doing it, 100% I agree, but I think it's also so dependent on where people live right so you have people in smaller communities smaller cities suburbs rural areas where the rate of infections aren't as high um as like a new york city or a metropolis so people in new york city yeah absolutely it's a ghost town people aren't taking the subways like nobody's going into work etc but somebody in middle america who's in a town where you know there's maybe five people who have it and none of them have died or none of them have had to be on ventilators for them it very much is like out of sight out of mind i live in albany the rate of infections is not that high here i think we're still at under 500 total Um, And we live right on Washington Park in Albany, the biggest park. And especially now that the weather is beautiful, you go out there, I'd say maybe 20, 30% people are in masks, even though the governor has issued an order that if you're in public, you have to wear a mask. People just aren't doing it. Whereas I think, although uh, to be honest, I don't know in New York City if people are going to do it now either with the weather getting nicer. Um, but I think, unfortunately, human nature is such that it's so relative to like what your exact experience is. It's very hard for X person to care about Y person who's across the country, for myself included, right? When my mom was quoting me the Chinese death figures, I was like, okay, let's pack the next box, lady. <laughs> let's keep this moving. Um, so I think it's really hard to relate unless it affects you directly, which isn't right. I just think... It's unfortunately the way it is. I think that's human nature. But I think seeing how it affected China, like I think I was also surprised that no country prepared, did anything to prepare for it, right? Like everybody kind of had like a two-month head start on what they could do to implement some sort of um, care, whether it's getting ventilators, whether it's like stocking up on masks, whatever it is. Like the fact that even in like French, like the... The government thought it was like a joke. In Panama, they still think like, um, in Brazil, they still think it's like a joke. Like, and now, like their numbers are one of the highest too, and in, in, in like the infection rates. So, I mean, I heard Pakistan is letting um, people come to the mosques for Taravi, which is insane. Like, ignorant is not even the word. It doesn't even fully encapsulate. Um, I had a question for you, Sana, and sorry if you guys went over this as I ran out to see why the hell my toddler was out of bed at 10 p.m. Um, what What is the anticipated second wave? Is there, like, information around it? Is there going to be a third wave, fourth wave? What is it? What's the, what's the intel? <laughs> Over here, again, the only intel we're getting is from international news sources. So, like, we've heard that there is a second wave in Wuhan and that they might be shutting down parts of Wuhan or they they have already. Like, I can't even confirm what's happening because I don't know. <laughs> There's no information out here for me to be like, oh, XYZ news source said this. Like, we don't have that, right? But there's just, there's no way to really know what's going to happen. I think right. the only thing that I can say is there, uh, like, just for me, logically, I think there's going to be a second wave. Um, 
especially when like you know when fall comes around again you know the temperatures drop people start getting sick again there's, there's no vaccine for it that's definitely something that we're we're scared about over here um you know traveling is still really scary um the fact that you know foreigners aren't allowed in but chinese citizens are traveling you know wherever they can and they're coming back to china that's a big scare for us because we don't know who's infected, where they're going, if they're coming back, you know, carrying, not carrying. It's just all that stuff is really scary. Um, but it's all unknown right now. Yeah. So I mentioned this, but my sister is a public health official and she's, this is her day job. She eats, breathes, lives this. And one of the things that she was saying, especially early on that, you know, the, the data that was coming out of China, you couldn't really not that you couldn't trust it, but it was very sparse, right? They're they're notoriously tight-fisted with the kind of information that they're they're willing to share. Um, and now, with six months of epidemiological data coming out of Wuhan, you're seeing just how uh, unpredictable this virus is. And we even, and through my company, which is a global company, we've been getting medical advisory board updates. And I just sat through a presentation earlier today on just like COVID nineteen recovery, what that really looks like, and their pessimistic scenario is that we are going to be in crisis until the spring of next year. And then our recovery will take even longer, and then the new normal, whenever that shows up, <laughs> will be very, very different. Um, and so- Well, I think part of the problem is like the virus, like you said, there's there's no clear understanding of it entirely, even from a medical perspective. No, like there's different iterations of it coming out, right? What is it, the Kawasaki disease now in New York City? They're saying that's effectively an iteration of it as well and so i think spring of next year is conservative to be honest because we have no idea how this is going to play out how many different um branches or you know like i said different iterations yeah. may hit. and what they're saying now with the the data that's coming out of wuhan now uh they're, show, they're seeing that even in recovered patients, recovered COVID patients, they're, uh, the, the infection is still alive in their eyeballs and their fecal matter. And so they might, you can do, go get the nasal swab and it won't show up and you'll be like, oh, I don't have it anymore. But then if you like cry and somebody, and it falls in somebody's mouth, they have COVID and you could spread it very, very easily so that we just don't have enough data to know when we'll be out of harm's way. Um, New York City, is is that yeah. eyeball like it's in your eyeball thing is that real is that real information because i had a really hard time believing. oh that. yeah yeah i mean this is from my sister was telling me from the data that they've seen now they're having all of these they're having a bunch of covid patients recovered covid patients show up with conjunctivitis and when they tested them it was uh the the virus showed up and so it's actually living a lot longer than people think um and but that's just it right like the information changes day by day as the testing changes right so back in february march when this started really ramping up in the states it was like okay it's only affecting the elderly right if you're younger you'll be fine then it was like okay it's affecting the elderly and those with comorbidities right then it was like you know you have people in their tw in their 20s and 30s having strokes from this so like don't believe anything, assume worst case scenario if you have it, you know, before it was like you have to social distance because you might be healthy and you might get through it, but you may put somebody else at, no bro, you're not going to be healthy, nobody going to be healthy, yeah, nobody going to be healthy. 
And I, but that's the thing. So I live in Astoria. I live in Queens, which is the highest rate of infection, highest rate of deaths in the country at this point. It's insane. And the fr- uh, as soon as we had got our work from home mandate, I was like uh, hunkered down, straight up Y2K style. I was just like, we're not going out. I'm never going to see the sun again. Totally fine with that. And then a couple of weeks later, it was the first time I went out. And people are... Di- this is like weeks in. This is every everything's on the rise. The the what was it? The bell like the top of the bell curve wasn't going to come until like the following month, and people were outside. I saw a lady in the grocery store. She took you know those plastic bags you get for produce. She licked her ungloved fingers to open it up, and I was just like, I'm in a ma- I'm in full fucking like SWAT gear, and you're. Licking your fingers in a grocery store during a global pandemic? SWAT gear that you had to purchase because the government didn't give you any. Who's a nail for? That I scoured the internet for. And you're licking your fingers and touching shit, touching people's food. Um, It's really insane. And I think the thing is with China, especially being. It is obviously a huge country, but it's also mostly agrarian. Whereas the US, you have a lot more suburbs, a lot more urban areas. Um, and like heck you were saying, there is this sense of like out of sight, out of mind. If it's not in my family, uh, then what do I care? And that's such a privileged perspective. Uh, I don't know why people in Astoria aren't taking this seriously as they need to. Uh, to be fair, everybody's in masks now. Very rarely do you see somebody not with a mask on, which is great. But there's still people congregating in the park. It's hard. It's New York City. You live in tiny ass apartments on top of each other. If the weather's nice, you're going to go out. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a hard pill to swallow when you have, I, my aunt had coronavirus and then I feel like she's not taking it seriously enough. And then, my, you know, you just feel like there's a sense of anxiety, constant anxiety that's because there's so much uncertainty and there's new information and possibly misinformation coming out at all times. Or I think New York or the U.S. has the opposite issue of China, which is like we have too much information, right? We're constantly being hit over the head with new crazy stories and information coming at us at all times. So I know, Sunny, you've been doing a great job of keeping people kind of updated about the, you know, the recovery efforts and what's going on in your life while you're living in Shanghai. How has that, like, what made you want to share that? And then how has the reception been? I know I've hit you up and been like, oh, you can send me some masks, like ship me over DHL style some masks, please. As an individual from China to the U.S., like only businesses can, so that sucks. <laughs> but actually, you're looking flat. when we ran, we were that would have been a dope side hustle. So oh my god, I wish I could have. I was like, let's just start a business. And I was like, is it is it like haram to profit off of this? Dopest Etsy store ever. Um, yeah, but like we actually ran out of masks, you know, with um, in February, and my mom like shipped me three boxes of masks and uh, it just cost her obviously like an arm and a leg but at that time it was like clear to send masks from the u.s to china um so that's how like we thankfully still have those masks going um <clears throat> but yeah the reason i actually went on social media to talk about this was because there was so much mis- misinformation like i 
saw doctors being like, you don't have to wear masks. And I would talk to my doctor friends in like Chicago and in like all different parts of the country. And they were like, no, you need to wear masks. And I'm like, I know, but there are doctors on social media saying you don't have to. So I just wanted to get onto my platform and be like, listen, I went through this. Like, I know that I'm not a doctor and um, I'm just going to tell you guys that masks aren't going to stop you from getting sick but it's a preventative measure that you should take for your safety, for the safety of others. Um, and I think that was my number one question too. Everyone was like, should we wear masks? Should we wear masks? And I was like, yes, like it is just better to be safe than sorry. You know, like in, a, in the winter, like you wear beanies and scarves to like keep yourself from getting sick. It's the same thing. Like you wear a mask just to keep yourself healthy. And um, that was just what I wanted to do is I just wanted to make sure that people were taking care of themselves because everyone started working from home and everyone was like oh what did you do what did you do so i let them know like i ate vitamin c every day i, I ate iron every day i was working out like my husband was like doing push-ups here and there i was trying to like we would go for walks we would get fresh air because cabin fever is so real so that's why like i made like an igtv video about it because I just didn't want people to get sick, you know, like the less you're moving, the more chances you get, you have of like weakening your immune system and the more chances you have of getting sick. So it was just kind of me getting out there to be like, hey guys, like make sure you take care of yourself. I know I didn't prep or I didn't send this question in advance, but what's the wildest thing you've heard from somebody through your IG? Like what's the wildest like question or comment or just fuckery that you've seen? Um, the wildest question. We love stories of fuckery. Please feel free to share all of them. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I really got any. I feel like. I mean, I remember when I would post like Q and As, there would be like all those people being like, "Oh, follow me," and I'm like, "No, this is not what this is about. Like, I'm here to help you guys." Um, but it was, it was just like, oh, I the okay. The craziest question I got was, "Are you pregnant yet?" Or when are you having a baby? And I'm like, seriously, like, that's what you're going to ask me? Like, I'm trying to, like, help During you the global pandemic, yeah, like, that's what like, you're you worried about. Yeah, you want to know if I'm pregnant? As someone who delivered during the pandemic, I do not recommend. <laughs> yeah, that was probably, Wait like, it out. like, the probably like, the stupidest thing. I was like, really? Like, you're concerned about my fertility right now? <laughs> like, there are bigger things out there. Like, that was probably it. And it was just, it was just crazy. People, people are weird. <laughs> Sana, I have two questions, and you can answer them in any order. Um, talk to us about pandemic shopping in China. So I know when things started getting crazy here, obviously you've heard like toilet paper was sold out, and you know you can't find hand soap or hand sanitizers. But like much weirder things have sold out too. I remember the night before I was being induced uh, to deliver my son. I went to the grocery store with my husband to just kind of stock up. I couldn't find peanut butter. I couldn't find chickpeas. I couldn't find pads. <laughs> so I was like, this postpartum bleeding is going to be a problem if the hospital doesn't hook me up. Um, and then it like kept escalating, right? A couple weeks later, there were no TVs at Walmart. I guess right around the time stimulus checks hit, <laughs> people just <laughs> literally there were no TVs. My brother's trying to buy a bike for his son's birthday that was in April. Can't find bikes anywhere. So is this just an American thing? Or like, were the Chinese also buying nonsense? 
can I be really honest with you? That is all just America being America. <laughs> like, I had access to toilet paper. Um, a lot, And that was, like, another question that I got. Everyone's like, what did that you do? That should be your side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just ran out of paper towels. Please, SOS, send help. <laughs> Any yeah. brand. doesn't have to be bounty. That's my business. I'm not picky. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> I'm going to start selling toilet paper and paper towels and become a billionaire. Um, yeah, no, everyone was like, everyone was uh, really concerned about the groceries. They were like, oh, what if the grocery stores run out? What did you do? What did you do? And over here, I noticed that like, like fresh produce would run out pretty quickly. So I wasn't able to get like tomatoes or I wasn't able to get like broccoli or spinach. Um, but within like the week, I would, there would be like a fresh supply, right? So, um, I think that was like one thing that was running out consistently. It was just fresh produce. Um, but okay, so that's funny that you bring up the shopping thing. So over, I actually just made a YouTube video about this that I'm gonna post uh, this week. It's about like the Taobao shopping experience out here in China. It's the, the biggest like online retailer, and you can find literally anything you need for super super cheap. And my husband, like, purposely did not show me how to use the app because it's all in Chinese. So he didn't show me how to use it, or he didn't like go on it that much because he didn't want me to start quarantine shopping <laughs> so I didn't end up buying too much during quarantine but now I like just like redecorated my apartment because of Taobao and like, I just like I'm spending so much money and it's so much fun so during quarantine it wasn't like shopping over here it's been the malls have been packed there was a line at H&M and Zara just last weekend so this like whole shopping thing is hitting here as like a post quarantine, like we have money, we have time, we're outside, like let's buy anything and everything we can. I I've never seen lines for the fitting room and for the checkout line at Azara before. Have so just so I can prepare, have prices dropped? Like, are you seeing more sales? Because that's kind of one of the things that's been coming up. Is like TJ Maxx still is getting inventory, so all the like all of their shit, all their inventory is gonna be really cheap once they're able to open. But like, what, so what is like the economic recovery looking like as far as a cons from a consumer's perspective? So prices definitely dropped um, during quarantine and um, after like the after quarantine was lifted. And when the city reopened, um, especially apartments, actually, because a lot of people weren't able to get back into the country. So a lot of teachers had to give up their apartments, had to like, give up their jobs. A lot of um, a lot of teaching positions are now available here. So apartments saw a big dip in rent. Um, so lots of people moved within that time. So that was the one thing that I noticed. Um, and then there were these projections that, oh, like, the luxury retail market in China is going to take a hit. That's not true. It didn't. I, I work for a luxury brand, uh, company, beauty company, and it is doing very well in China right now. So I think what happened is that, like, the Chinese just came out in full force, and now prices are back up to where they were. But, like, between March and April, there was definitely... Um, like a discount, like a drops in prices and drops in um, just everything from like gross. There were way more, oh my God, there were so many deals on alcohol. Like you would go through the list on the grocery stores because all of these grocery stores are linked to the Ulama app where you can order everything online and get it delivered to your door. So there was like alcohol was slashed and 
produce was slashed and snacks were slashed. Like I could get, I literally got bags of chips for pennies <laughs> because that's how discounted they were. Um, so it was pretty good on like the, in that regard, but now everything's back to normal price wise. This isn't a question so much as a comment. Um, when you get married, that initial adjustment is hard. Getting married and moving across, not even halfway, all the entire way around the world, even harder. Getting married, moving to Shanghai during a goddamn pandemic, I can't even imagine. So the fact that you're still smiling and your husband's like head isn't mounted on your wall, kudos to you, man. Yeah, I learned, um, I always knew, I always knew I was resilient, um, but I learned that I was, you know, that I'm like next level resilient now. <laughs> now I feel like I could literally conquer anything. Um, yeah. That's actually a great segue into our, my next question, which is like, what is the uh, biggest positive to come out of this? I'm going to be super cheesy and I'm going to say it's like, working on my marriage uh, because you know as you said I literally saw I, I did an arranged marriage in 2019 and I was anti-arranged marriage my whole life because of just the people that I was being introduced to but luckily like it all worked out with my husband and we had only met twice before we got married so super arranged super like quote-unquote backwards according to some people um, and, you know, as soon as we got into Shanghai, he went to work the next day. Um, and then when we went on our honeymoon, that was like the two weeks that we had to ourselves. And we came back to being quarantined for six weeks after that. So I think it was just the best, the biggest positive was just being able to spend that time with my husband and get to know him more and, and you know, not get wrapped up in this routine of, you know, work and him being at work, me being at home, and us just having a few hours, like, we had a lot of time to just get to know each other more, hang out with each other more. We watched literally everything on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu, so we got to just know more about our likes and dislikes, and I think that just was a really good time for us to just hang out and just work on being a better couple. That's not cheesy. That's actually very sweet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so as this has, you know, as China recovers and all that, what do you, what are the biggest like lessons and takeaways for you? I think um, I definitely was taking health for granted. Um, you know, during the quarantine, I was doing things that I was always too lazy to do my whole life. I didn't care about my vitamin C intake. I didn't care about my immune system. I was like, oh, if I get sick, I get antibiotics. But I was like, okay, that's not the case here. I could die now. Um, so I think that was like a wake-up call for just taking care of my body, um, taking care of my mental health. Um, I've always been very proactive about that. Um, and I think when you are stuck indoors all day and you have that fear of going outside, that can really have a negative effect on your mental health. So... Um, practicing better techniques to stay positive, to not be so hard on myself, um, just stuff like that. I think that just really helped um, me get through this and it helped me kind of 
take life in a like look at life in a different lens, right? So now I'm more cautious about what I'm putting in my body, um, what I'm like working out, whether it's like through dance or just like walking more or biking now. Um, I'm just happy that I kind of knocked some sense into myself and I just started taking care of myself better. I think as a well, you're younger than me, but as a young person, <laughs> it's a really important lesson to learn early because it's so much harder to work on that when you're already kind of over there. When your metabolism betrays Ooh. you. It is real. It's a real struggle. But that's, I think, a really important takeaway. Um, Mehek, do you have any lessons learned, positive takeaways from this, what is it, week 10 of quarantine? Um, well, Sana taught me today that Americans really are really stupid. I can't. I was hoping she would say, oh, yeah, the Chinese went out and bought TVs, too. Nope, just us. Um, no, I think I think the point about mental health is really important, and it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. Um, it's 2020, and there's still so much stigma around, like, taking time for yourself, creating boundaries, whatever it looks like for you. And we really got to get the hell over it, right? Like your happiness is paramount. Um, do what you need to do to get there, especially if you're going to be stuck indoors, especially if you're not getting that vitamin D, especially if you're not getting that social interaction, you need to stay sane. Um, so we really need to be more forgiving of ourselves but also more forgiving of others who may be struggling in ways that we don't fully understand like give people space to do what they need to do to make it through another day this is hard man whether um you know across the spectrum it's it's hard for everybody and it's a point we've made in the last two quarantine episodes as well like everybody's struggle is so different and we joke about first world problems and whatever but your struggle is relative to your experience to your you know current situation so um yeah be happy guys it's it's we're in this for the long haul you know like even when things open up um things are going to be really weird for a really long time so Figure out what makes you happy. Figure out what keeps you, you know, balanced and stay there. Get there. Stay yeah. there. I mean, that's what, that. that's what the, the next big health crisis they're predicting is going to be mental health out of all of this, right? For essential workers and medical um, staff that they're already experiencing burnout. There have been a couple of very high profile suicides of doctors are working with COVID patients here in um, just New York, not even the country, it's in New York. Uh, so the mental health thing, and it, we've said this, yeah, like you said, Mac, in the past couple of episodes, but it's, I think it's just super important to drive that point home is just take care of your mental health. And it's also okay if you just want to completely check out. Don't, there is no expectation that you come out of quarantine learning, having learned to crochet and, you know, restore a 1950s car or you know, there's no expectation that you have to learn a new skill and there are people who that's their they can do that but that's their mental that's how they help their mental health 
if for you it's to completely check out for a little while and unplug your phone and and of course let people know that this is what you're doing like hey I don't have the energy to respond I'll get back to you when I can and that's totally fine and I think that's super that's kind of what I'm learning like it's okay if I don't respond to that text message within the next hour or the next day or two days I need to take care of myself like I come first because at the end of the day that's what I have to live with um and so that's super, super important. Um, so Sana, I want to make sure that I give you a plug because you did say that you are a singer-songwriter. So tell people where they can find you and get more information on the recovery and things like that. So I will be posting more videos of covers and uh, my experience here in China and actually like my dating experience before getting married because a lot of people have been asking about that as well. And unfortunately, I'm very well versed in the dating <laughs> world <laughs> before I got married. So, um, yeah, you can find me at Sana G Productions. It's S A N A J I Productions on Instagram and YouTube. I don't really use Facebook, so Instagram, YouTube, Sana J I Productions is where you can find all my stuff. I'd like to know who the fuck we're gonna Facebook. That's what I want to know. What happened? But. <laughs> I was like, I, I want to know who still uses Facebook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My mom. My mom still does. Aunties. My mom still does and tries to ask me to like troubleshoot it for her. I'm like, lady, I haven't been on it in 10 years. Um, Sana, we're going to have you back to do an episode on the dating because I think it's, we've done a couple before, but you mentioned how you were anti-arranged marriages your entire life. And then I think we all can commiserate with the fantastic experience of dating in New York, especially New York City. Um, so curious to hear how your path went to arranged um, marriages after that. Um, so. Marriages after that. So arranged marriage and then agreeing to move out of the whole country. Yeah, yeah. wild continent. Yeah, wild. Very interesting <laughs> journey. Yeah, that's definitely a conversation. Yeah, that's coming soon. That's definitely um, a conversation. <laughs> yes. So my handles are, what are they? Instagram is at, at the cold shoulder cat. Twitter, which I'm not really on right now, but still have an account, is at cold shoulder cat. Uh, hit me up if you have any ideas on what else we can cover in this quarantine series. If you know somebody that would be really cool to talk to, um, let me know. My DMs are open for the most part. Um, and I'm Mahek Jamil on Instagram. Uh, you can find pictures of my sassy toddler on there because um, that's all I'm doing in quarantine. Um, and on uh, Twitter, I'm at Nisi. And all I do is like and retweet other people's thoughts that I'm not smart enough to come up with on my own. Well, thank you so much, Sana. This was really great having you on and hearing your perspective, especially a global perspective. Um, and really appreciate all your insight and looking forward to continuing your, or watching, continuing to watch your journey uh, as you go through this. Sana, stay safe. And if you start that toilet paper, paper towel side hustle, you better give us a discount because we gave you the idea. Yeah. for sure no, thank you so much ladies for having me it was so great to be able to talk about this and i'm so grateful that you guys have a platform that you're you know putting out there for other people so kudos to you for doing this and for being consistent i applaud you and <laughs> <laughs>
pronounced. Right, now. That's a term we haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks for, yeah, stay safe, everybody listening to this, all yeah, three of you. Everybody. And uh, we'll be back yeah. soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.